Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, Season 1, Episode 2. The touch of cold metal cleared Gabe's head and righted the spinning bar, almost. The room still danced behind him and around him, but less forcefully, and the ache in his head dulled. Jordan's hand was on his hand, her long, dark fingers pressing a charm into his palm. A closed eye in iron, with a narrow white feather wound through the metal. Does this help? You, he said, finding words came more easily now. Had no business chasing him away. Don't give me too much credit. You did more than enough. He'd heard doctors sound that way before, when operating on patients they judged terminal. I just helped the process along. Follow me. No, he said, but she was already leaving. He hated this feeling, drowning in foreign waters. It reminded him of Cairo, of smoke-filled basements and impossible visions, of 1968 and the year he'd first met Jordan Reams. Back then, he'd thought the only secret world was the one where he lived and worked. He slid out of the booth and pursued her, shakily, one hand always touching something solid, the side of a booth, a table, the wall, a bare water pipe. Jordan's skirt swayed ahead of him, but her shoulders were fixed and steady as a battleship prow. It's only a headache. Even you do not believe that, she said. I did not save your life back in Egypt to watch you decay now. I can handle this on my own, he said. She laughed. Tanya steered the girl toward a stack of wooden pallets. Climb, get up high. They climbed up to the low roof line of Bar Vodnar and settled on the edge of slate tiles. Tanya kicked away the pieces of lumber closest to them so no one, or rather no thing, would find an easy path up. 
All right. Can I trust you to stay put long enough for me to explain? The girl nodded. Her face was still soft around the edges, but her eyes sparkled with youthful determination. Tanya remembered that feeling from her own days as a student back at Moscow State. Back before she was assigned here, at the front lines of the stalemate. My name is Tatiana Mihailovna, but please, call me Tanya if you like. I'm a cultural secretary at the Soviet embassy. The lies flowed easily as water these days. But that isn't why I'm here tonight. There are people hunting for you. I want to protect you from them, but I need your cooperation. The student hunched her shoulders forward, drawing back from Tanya. Hunting for me? People from your embassy? She said the word plainly enough, not dipped in the venom Tanya would expect from one of the Dubchek sorts, but the distrust was clear. No, no, nothing like that. Tanya shook her head. Let me ask you, uh, comrade. The girl hesitated, then shoved her hands into her pockets. Andula. Tanya gave her a sheepish smile, a well-worn tool in her kit for softening up a potential asset. Andula, de qui? Thank you. Have you experienced anything strange lately? Perhaps when you crossed through Stare Miestra? She gestured toward the winding street beyond their alleyway. It might be more intense during periods of low tide, or when there is a full moon, or, or perhaps when Venus is visible in the... Andula's stare was inching wider and wider, the sort of expression usually reserved for dealing with ranting lunatics. Tanya cleared her throat. <clears throat> what I mean to say is, have you noticed any strange sensations in this part of town? A headache, perhaps, or a dog of some sort, deep in your gut? I haven't a clue what you're talking about. I- But then Andula's eyebrows drew downward. Wait, no, now that you mention it, I did feel- Ill the other day, when I was collecting my stipend at the university offices not far from here. And then tonight, it was like this, I don't know, this pressure just in the back of my skull. Her eyes narrowed. Your friends at the embassy haven't done something to me, have they? No, I assure you. It isn't that at all. Tanya laced her fingers together, the leather of her glove squeaking. Where the hell was Nadia? She should have dismantled the construct by now and joined them. Somehow, for all her brusqueness, her partner was always better at explaining these things. The best Tanya could hope for was to spin an intriguing enough tale that the girl's curiosity or confusion would keep her from running. There is no easy way to explain this, Andula. You are what is known as a host, a vessel for one of the 36 elementals that power the world's sources of magic. Because of what you are, you are in danger from those who would use you to. Andula scrambled to her feet, tiles crashing to the alley floor beneath them. All right, 
I think I've heard enough. Please, just let me finish. Tanya pinched the bridge of her nose. It's very important that you hear me out. Get back, Nadia roared in Russian as she tumbled into the alley's mouth. She wasn't alone. She was coiled around the main body of the construct, ungloved hands clawing desperately at the copper components that traced strange shapes all around its trunk. The construct lurched, menacing, toward the roofline, and leapt at them. For one moment, the phosphorescent eyes and gash of a mouth carved into its rocky face seemed to fix right on Tanya and the girl before Nadia was able to throw enough weight to send it crashing back to the alley floor. Wait right here, Tanya said to Andula. No more softness, no apologetic tone, no more time. She clenched her teeth and jumped down from the roof. Tanya dug a charm out of her pocket and snapped the twigs on it in half to activate it. As she tossed it against the construct, the twigs turned into vines, flourishing over the construct's trunk, tangling around its limbs. Nadia bounced to her feet, nimble as ever. Have you close enough? She asked in Russian. It'll have to do. Tanya pulled out the components bag and dumped it open on the construct's twitching form. Flashing metal filings, herbs, flint, more twigs. She added a gob of saliva to the mix, then stepped over the construct to join hands with Nadia. A bluish gold glow seeped out of the spell components. It swirled into the air and wrapped itself around the two women, gilding the construct, the pile of discarded crates, the edge of the roof as they began to chant. Old Slavic words tangled into Latin. Aramaic put in an appearance. The longer they chanted, words droning as the intensity swelled, the more the glow illuminated, until it was pouring out of their mouths with each phrase and slicing through the cold night air. The construct rattled beneath them, trying, despite the vines, to continue its grim march. Just a few seconds more, Tanya prayed, as she let her chant punch through the night. Then the vines snapped, and the construct lurched forward. Two. Following Jordan through the bar's back rooms, Gabe clutched the charm and told himself that the metal's temperature made the difference gave him something to focus on. Or perhaps it was the pain of the amulet's edges digging into his palm that clarified his mind. The symbol did not matter, nor did the feather. He would be mad to think so. Maybe he was. She led him through a door, lit a candle, and continued down a sloped passage lined with shelves piled high with stock. Most of the Vodnar's customers would have been surprised to see what stock precisely. The hall's first turning held the usual, beer bottles and cleaner, pallet boxes of chips, a vat of nuts, liquor. After the second turn, bar supplies gave way to drying herbs and fruits, and what he hoped were roots. The light down here wasn't good, and some roots did look like mummified hands. After its third turn, the hall might have been a museum stockroom. Wrought metal charms filled one shelf. Along another rested a line of ancient nails, 
sorted painstakingly by size and type of head, each tip stained with what Gabe hoped was rust. Large stylized masks in the shape of birds and lion's heads, or in shapes he did not recognize at all, rested on the top shelves, staring down like angels in judgment. Beneath them lay drums and flutes made of beech wood. God, that had to be beech, though the grain looked more like bone. One shelf sported only gleaming knives. He could almost hear the candlelight against their edges. At the hall's end stood another door, which opened into an office. Leather chair, fine old desk, packed with so many herbs and unguents, the smells clashed and overlapped, and all he could think was jungle. Jordan fit the candle she carried into an iron holder. Close the door. Sit. What, he said. No skull? I thought the candle's supposed to, you know, sit on the skull. Perhaps I will have yours out for the purpose. Sit, he said. The throbbing headache returned. He pressed the talisman to his forehead. She grabbed a bronze bowl off of one shelf, tossed it on the desk, lit a small gas flame under a black kettle, and circled around the room, gathering herbs and screwed shut jars. What are you doing? Trying to keep you in one piece. This is the worst the headaches have been, yes? The worst since Cairo? He crossed his arms. That's none of your business. She slathered a scoop of what looked like black tar into the bowl, added three handfuls of three different herbs, and mixed them into a paste with a flat blade. It is all of my business, and very little of yours. By rights, you should have never been drawn into this world. You have tried to ignore it. You have tried to cowboy through. And perhaps now you may see that this is not helpful. Ignoring your difficulty hurts you and your mission. I know this talk, he said. You're buttering me up for a pitch. I am trying to help you. I won't betray my people. The kettle whistled. Jordan poured water into the bowl, mixed the paste as if she were making cocoa, then added more water. No fresh goat's milk, sadly, but this will have to do. Drink, quickly. It will help the pain. He set down the charm and raised the bowl. The bronze warmed his hands. This is steaming. It will not hurt you, I promise. Try not to breathe the fumes. He met her eyes and drank. Oily liquid, gritty with powder, ash, and herbs slithered down his throat. The pain receded. His vision cleared. I am not pitching you, she said. And I do not wish you to betray anyone. There are people who have dealt with problems like yours since long before you were born, and long before your country was born as well. They will help you, and then you will be able to do your job again. Will you listen to what I have to say at least? Gabe finished the bowl, set it down, and slid it back to Jordan. The pain felt like a radio on in another room, easily ignored. Fine, he said. Tell me. Jordan squeezed his shoulder and smiled. 
You stumbled into a new world in Cairo, a world on whose edges I've lived all my life. There are two factions. Call them the Ice and the Flame. Their leaders have been fighting a secret war for a very long time, with people like me caught in the middle. Her smile turned sad. Sound familiar? He nodded. Good. When you need to vomit, use the bucket beside you. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Tanya and Nadia chanted, bathing the alleyway in shades of blue and gold, even as the construct lurched out of its bindings. The glow wormed into its articulated stone joints, The eyes in the hollows on its head burned a hot white. It leapt once more for the roofline, where Andula, the terrified student, crouched. But they didn't relent, letting the ancient languages twist and flow. Then everything happened at once. Andula's scream, the sparks showering from the construct's joints, the flash of light that hit Tanya in the chest like a fist. Her hand ripped out of Nadia's, and she tumbled backward into the heap of broken wooden pallets. Flecks of wiring and crystals sprayed across her lap, the creature's elemental components. They'd done it. They'd overloaded the construct with energy direct from the ley lines, more than it could possibly contain. It had been reduced to its base parts. All of the power its creators had stored within it unleashed in a single burst. As for the matter of just who'd created it, Well, she and Nadia would have to deal with that soon enough. Bliotch, Nadia swore, 
heaving a chunk of rock off her arm. She was sprawled across the alley floor, her dark hair pooled beneath her. Tanya had to blink a few times to clear the afterflash in her eyes to make sure it wasn't blood. What the devil was that thing? Andula screeched. Tanya and Nadia exchanged a look. I need to gather components, Nadia said, so we can track down the creators. Tanya sighed and climbed back up to the roof line with Andula. As I was saying, you are a host. You were born attuned to a particular elemental, and through some means, have been activated. Your elemental has come home to roost, you could say. Tanya smiled darkly. Witches like me are able to use these elements for good, but there are witches who would use them for more sinister purposes too, and they would very much like to harvest this elemental from you. Harvest? Harvest? Andula crawled back on the roof, away from Tanya. What is that supposed to mean? Tanya chose to ignore her question for the moment. These witches, the Acolytes of Flame, someone from their organization created that device. An elemental construct. Its sole purpose was to track you down for them. Fortunately for you, members of the Flame aren't the only people capable of wielding elemental magic. The girl's eyes were wild. And what would it have done if it caught me? Nadia trilled with laughter. <laughs> oh, Mila Yadavushka, trust me, you don't want the answer to that. The crisp night air crackled in the heavy silence for a few moments. It was tracking me, Andula finally said. She watched as Nadia wrenched apart two chunks of crystal that had been fused together. Like, like a radar or something. Yes, much like that. The acolytes of flame are attempting to collect all of the hosts like you, Tanya said. They want the elementals for themselves. So there's something inside of me right now. Andula pointed to herself. What is an elemental, and what does it want with me? It wants you. You were born to be together. You were meant to be the host for the kind of elemental power it represents, like water, or electricity, or earth, so you can use its power to its fullest potential. Think, Andula. Have you always had an affinity for water? perhaps, or a particular type of flower. But it wasn't until you were activated by a strong burst of energy that your elemental could find you. Tanya's expression softened. Don't worry, it can't harm you. This is what you were made for. Andula laughed, a dry and bitter rasp. <laughs> I've never known you kaga bizniks to be picky on matters of fate. Nadia and Tanya flinched as one. They exchanged a glance, a long wordless debate. Then Tanya closed her eyes with a faint nod. 
They're not here as Kaga bizniks, Nadia said at last. No? Then who are you? What do you really want with me? Andela folded her arms across her chest. How can I trust you? How do I know that this flame is the group that means me harm, and not you? We're with the Consortium of Ice, Tanya said, resting one hand on Angela's knee. She was careful to keep her palm curved down, concealing the tiny charm nestled in her hand there. And we're here to help. Gabe thought that by the third heave, surely there couldn't be anything left. He was wrong. Jordan rocked back and forth in her chair and kept talking, as if his guts weren't lying in a bucket between them. The ice like the world more or less the way it is. They are prigs, for the most part, but less vicious than the flame. I have contacts among them. If anyone knows how to deal with your pain, they will. She passed him a tissue. I don't need their help would have sounded much more authoritative if his stomach hadn't chosen that instant to double him over, dry heaving. That should be the last. She passed him a glass of clean water once he finished. Rinse your mouth well. You don't want any of the stuff you drank lingering between your teeth. He rinsed, spit, and wiped his mouth, then tossed the tissue in the bucket. Is there a place I can dump this? She nodded to a door he hadn't noticed before. Washroom. By the time he returned, she'd wiped the bowl clean and burnt a handful of herbs within. Gabe took his seat. I can handle myself. She laughed. Like you handled Drahomir? Jordan did not let the silence linger long enough to compel his answer. How long can you keep this from your comrades at the embassy? Or from their bosses back at Langley? The ice can teach you to deal with your problem. Can't you? She shook her head. I can treat the symptoms. The problem beneath, I cannot touch. And if you let that problem go untended, the symptoms will grow beyond my ability to calm. That doesn't sound good. No, she said. You must speak with Alistair Winthrop. He is a... She searched the air above his head for the right word and settled on cultural attache at the British embassy. One of your people. Gabe crossed his legs and leaned back. She hadn't said operative. She hadn't said spy. A cultural attache? MI6, she said. So really your kind of people. It's not like I'm sending you to the KGB. Was that an option? Jordan's smile was very white, but in other respects, nothing like a shark's. Your service and his are friendly. If your comrades or Langley discover the relationship, they might even be pleased. Interagency cooperation is so difficult to achieve, especially in the field. And he's a whatever. Her face screwed up. Sorcerer is the term they prefer, but yes, from as old a family as they come. The ice cares about things like that. Bloodlines, titles, families, prigs, like I said. 
And he's MI6. Of course. I don't care for the ice at all, Gabriel. But Alistair is a good man. He will help you. Yes was the word on the tip of his tongue. It tasted smooth, round, soothing, cough drop fresh. But with the pain gone, training caught him like a trap. An officer massaged an asset through the stages of the recruitment cycle, like a priest led parishioners through the stations of the cross. Find a potential source, trace the outlines of his needs or hers, build relationship through trust or fear or common cause, and then recruit. Coax the player into the game. I'm not trying to pitch you, Jordan had said. But that was the cycle's core the double blind, the story told and sold. This isn't a process. These steps aren't mechanical. You're special. We care. The magic was real. Cairo's streets twisted through his nightmares. Jackals laughed and metal feet clattered down cobblestones in memory. Knives gleamed in the shadows, their edges blood wet. He saw those dark dream visions waking sometimes, before the headaches came. Jordan wanted to help, or wanted him to feel that's what she wanted. He swallowed the yes, said no, and stood. The room did not tilt or sway as he approached the door. Gabriel? No, he repeated, finding it easier the second time. She rounded the desk toward him, reached for his arm, but did not touch him. You cannot ignore Cairo forever. Sooner or later, you will have to face the wounds you took. Sooner or later, you will have to trust me. He couldn't bear to say no a third time, so he walked through the door and shut it behind himself. You're listening to The Witch Who Came In From The Cold, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Witch Who Came In From The Cold is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Lindsay Smith, Cassandra Rose Clark, Ian Tregellis, and Michael Swanwick. Performed by Christine Lakin and John Glushevich. Directed by Dennis Kao. 
Produced by Julian Yap and Marco Palmieri. Associate Producers Corey Barton and Devin Shepard. Executive Produced by Molly Barton. Audio Production by Literati Audio. Audio Editing by Evan Arnett and Fred Koch. Mixing and Mastering by Jeremy Wesley. Original Music by Katherine Anderson. Find more shows like The Witch Who Came In From The Cold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. (laughs) 